What's feeding your feed? That's a pretty good question, you know. Um, this is the Sabbath day. We have gathered here in person, and we are gathering online to observe together the Sabbath day and re-examining what really is going to feed our feed. A great theologian describes the Sabbath like this. He says, it is the, refu the refusal to let one's life be determined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. I'm using this prayer app, Lectio 365, and I'd love to just pray this prayer over you. Would you bow your head? And I actually invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just bow your heads and let's pray together. Lord, I come to you for a deep rest today. I spend so much of my life dissatisfied, wanting more stuff, more money, more friends, more applause, more miracles. Today, I put away my superhero cape and thank you very simply that because I have you, I have everything I will ever truly need. And every follower of Jesus Christ joins in saying, amen, amen. Hey, we are in this sermon series, and, and the title of it is What is True? I, I want to do a couple of things this morning. I, I want to uh, just reset the series and talk for a few moments about why we are doing this series. And then I want to dive into the subject at hand, is Jesus really the only way. In this series, we're asking the question, what is true? And, and hopefully, we're making a decision. Are we going to be a people? Are you going, as an individual follower of Jesus, be a person? Are we, as a church, going to be ones who speak truth to culture, or are we going to just be silent? Uh, I read a book this summer by Eric Metaxas who really challenged me on this whole speaking truth to culture issue. Uh, Eric Metaxas in his book, Letter to the American Church, writes this, when Christians fail to speak, the price of speaking rises and fewer speak. Now, I want a little bit of feedback. Does that make sense when I read that? Does that make sense to you? If we fail to speak, it raises the cost of speaking for everyone else. And then he says, and fewer speak, causing the price of speaking to rise higher still until a whole culture or nation is silenced. Now, the problem with that is, as Eric Metaxas writes, either we help evil or we fight evil. Either we speak truth and thereby help others to speak truth to culture, uh, to speak truth to the people around us, or we cower in silence and thereby lead others to do the same. See, the truth is there's really no middle ground. Uh, there's no Switzerland when it comes to speaking truth. Either we speak the truth that God has given to us, to a culture to whom Satan has lied, or we don't. 
No middle ground. God has given us truth and he's called us to speak truth to culture, uh, the culture to whom Satan has lied. And, And either we're faithful to speak the truth or we are a part of encouraging lies to be embraced and evil to be established. Now, without a doubt, speaking truth to culture, uh, we pay a price. It's always been that way, right? John the Baptist spoke truth to culture. He spoke truth to the political leader of his day, Herod. And he said, Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. And he paid a price, didn't he? Do you remember the story? He lost his head. Jesus spoke truth to culture, and Jesus paid a price, right? He spoke truth to the religious leaders of his day, and he said to the religious leaders, the very fact that you have rejected me as Lord God, Messiah, King, is proof positive that you are of your father, the devil. And by the way, Jesus paid a price for speaking truth to culture, didn't he? The religious leaders had the Roman authorities crucify him. So the truth is, there's always a price to pay. It's always been that way, and it's still that way in our day. But we're still called to speak truth, the truth that God has given us to a culture to whom Satan has lied. Timothy Keller, uh, one of my heroes in the faith, he's recently passed away, longtime pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City. My family and I had an opportunity to go and, and visit that church one Sunday, and it was just one of those, you know, where you're sitting there listening to one of your heroes of the faith preach the gospel. It was amazing. And, and he spoke truth to culture in New York City, and trust me, it is challenging to speak truth to culture in New York City. And, and, it, and in this podcast that I listened to several years ago, Ago. I listened to it recently. It was recorded several years ago. He identified areas where he always endeavored to speak truth to culture, no matter how much culture pushed back on him and Redeemer Church. And he identified those areas. One of the areas is racial justice and all justice issues. And he said the church must be strong and bold in proclaiming that all races are equal and we're all created in the image of God. And he also spoke to issues of concern for the poor and the marginalized. But then he also spoke to pro-life issues and declared when the, when the state Uh, sanctions the killing of the unborn and even the selling of their body parts for profit. The church cannot remain silent but must speak. And Timothy Keller said that he spoke on the issue of marriage being between a man and a woman. And and if the state uh, declares or redefines the definition of marriage, the church cannot remain silent, but the church must speak truth to culture And that includes a whole host of sexual sins like adultery and living together before one is married and homosexuality. And then there's another one that that Timothy Keller didn't add in his podcast, but it was recorded several years ago, and I believe he would have added it today, and that is the issue of transgenderism and the fact that God created male and female 
and that gender is not fluid but fixed. And it's interesting how Keller came back and, and he said, you know, when it comes to these issues, it's almost like there's red evangelism and blue evangelism. It's like there's liberal churches and, and, and conservative churches. And, and, and the blue evangelism is, uh, man, liberal and liberal church cheer when we talk about justice issues or concern for the poor and the marginalized. But, but Keller notes how uh, the and they grow strangely silent on these other issues. And on the other hand, red evangelism, uh, man, they, they talk about pro-life and marriage and, and God created male and female, but are strangely silent when it comes to concern for the poor and the marginalized and racial justice. And out of that, it's just dawned on me. And I, I'm begging you to join me in saying we will never be a church that flies the flag of the donkey or flies the flag of the elephant, but we shall always be a church that flies the flag of the kingdom of God. And we shall be a church that continues to speak truth to culture to whom Satan has lied. Now, do we speak with love and grace and truth? I pray so. I pray that we always do. The minute we lose our temper, we've lost the argument. The minute we raise the voice, uh, we've lost the opportunity for someone to hear. But please understand this. There's no one more loving and gracious and kind than Jesus. Jesus spoke truth and they killed him. And so the reality is, as we speak truth to culture, uh, just, just recognize you're going to be attacked criticized, called anti-everything, accused of being bigoted and engaging in hate speech, and uh, the world will even try to cancel you. But, but let me tell you what's at stake. I'm not telling you the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor in Germany uh, during the rise of Adolf Hitler, and, and Bonhoeffer did not remain silent he spoke truth to culture and he spoke truth to his church and the churches of Germany. But the churches of Germany chose to remain silent uh, it, during the rise of Hitler. Even when Hitler began to marginalize an entire group of people, the Jews, even when he began to round them up and put them on boxcars and ship them off to concentration camps, even when he began to kill the Jews, and the church still remained silent. Uh, there's an apocalypse apocryphal story that, that the church would gather on Sunday mornings and they had determined we're not going to rock the boat. We're not going to make waves. We're not going to draw any attention to ourselves. We're just going to love people and we're just going to keep preaching in our churches but we're not going to speak to any of the issues of the day. And so they would gather in their churches and they would be singing their songs and their hymns and the story goes they would hear the railroad cars going by carrying the Jews to the concentration camps and the response of the church was to just sing louder. You see, there's a lot at stake. Bonhoeffer paid the price for speaking truth to culture. He was imprisoned, and then he was killed, executed. But before he died, he wrote this, the church is the conscience of the state and must call it to account. And he adds this, if we see our culture being attacked, being lied to, and do nothing, we are complicit, and God will hold us accountable. So for the record, that's the end of my introduction. And now we can start the sermon. So the question is, 
Is it true that there's only one way to heaven? Those who say, no, 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 there are many ways, push back with some pretty common objections. All roads lead to heaven. And by the way, there's not just a few who believe that. There was a Pew study done in 2008 uh, that discovered 50% of Christians in America believe there are many roads to heaven. Uh, but don't be discouraged. I mean, they redid the study in 2021 and now have discovered that number is up to 70% of Christians in America believe many roads lead to heaven. Sad. Uh, others say, well, no, 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 good people go to heaven. Uh, but just think about that for a minute. Does that really make sense? If Jesus wanted to preach and teach that, that just good people are gonna go, don't worry about the death, burial, resurrection, don't worry about salvation by grace, just, hey, good people go to heaven. Uh, doesn't it make sense uh, that, that he would have left us a score and he would have told us how to grade? Uh, doesn't it make sense? I mean, how good is good enough? Read the book that Andy Stanley wrote on that subject. It's a pretty good book, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but a lot of people will counter, hey, good people go to heaven. Others will say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Now, seriously, can we just all agree, and I want a response on this. Let me know. Isn't it possible to be sincere and yet at the same time to be sincerely wrong? Yes or no? See, you could be sitting there right now just saying, Gary, I feel it in my gut. I am as sincere as I can be. I believe this is the Dallas Cowboys year. <laughs> now, you can fill out the rest of it. Just let me repeat, though. It is possible to be sincere and at the same time sincerely wrong. I heard a joke the other day that I think is so funny. Problem is I told it to my wife, and she thinks it's hilarious. It goes like this. The guy says, I encouraged my wife to embrace her mistakes, so she gave me a hug. <laughs> That's kind of the way my wife responded. I'm like, no, it's a funny joke. It wasn't hilarious. <laughs> but she did then give me a hug. But anyway, I, I don't know what that was about. See, if you're married, I hope that you're not sitting here thinking, man, I was sincere, but I was wrong when it comes to the person sitting next to you. But we can all agree that you can be sincere and sincerely wrong at the same time. Others say when we suggest, hey, all roads lead to heaven, and their response is all religions are basically the same. They just teach that we are supposed to love one another. Well, number one, all religions are not basically the same. But even if they were, what makes us think that the similarities are more important than the differences? I've read, I don't know anything about arsenic, but I've read that you can get arsenic in the form of a little white tablet. Looks a whole lot like an aspirin. I know for a fact, because I have some in my home, that you can get a bare aspirin in the form of a little white tablet. I could come to you and say, hey, look, these pills are basically the same. They're both white. They're both little. They're both round. You swallow them with a glass of water. And I say to you, so, hey, let's take these pills, but I'm going to give you the arsenic, and I'll take the bear. Wouldn't you at that point go, no, 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 they may be similar, but let's acknowledge the differences are more important than the similarities. So here's the reality. There's a lot of folks that push back on 
only one road to heaven. So let's ask the question, what does scripture teach? Let's go first to Jesus. What did Jesus say on the subject? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's kind of a mic drop moment. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, just in the sermon right there, uh, Jesus is the authority on this. Jesus said, I am the only way. Not one way, but I am the only way. Uh, you can disagree with Jesus. You can try to discredit Jesus. You can try to say, well, Jesus wasn't telling the truth or, or, or something like that. But the reality is you can't deny the fact that Jesus taught that he is the only way to the Father in heaven. It's a mic drop moment. Now, let me just say, if you're sitting there wondering if you can trust the credibility of Jesus, a world-renowned atmospheric chemist who happens to be a member of our church, uh, we did a podcast with him, and and he talks about the reliability of Jesus. Just, he says it better than I do. Listen to this. There were 313 things about Jesus' life that were verifiable beyond Scripture, and they all came true. So the chance of that happening, in fact, I've worked it out, is basically one with 94 zeros after it. So just to recap here and just to say, just to, if I'm hearing this correctly, it's the chances of all these 300 plus prophecies that are going to actually occur, some of them being foretold 1400 years before Jesus came, all the way up to about 450 yes, years. exactly. In the span of a thousand years, what you're saying is that the likelihood of that happening is if I flipped a coin 313 times and it was heads every, every single time. time. Like, yeah, it's not gonna that's, happen. It's that's impossible. beyond our normal experience. Mm -hmm. Let's just leave it like that. <laughs> All of these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. And what Dr. Larry is saying is that Jesus is pretty credible. But let's ask, what did Peter say? Peter uh, was a disciple of Jesus, followed him three years. And then Peter, uh, according to church tradition that is pretty reliable, actually uh, died as a martyr rather than deny that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. As a matter of fact, when they crucified him, his only request was that, would you crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to die as my Savior died. What did Peter say of Jesus? He said, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says, Jesus is the only way. What did the early believers, early followers of Jesus, what did they say about the subject? You know, Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, but, but they'd been Christians for about 20 years. You want to know what Christians were called before they were called Christians? They were called followers of the way. Where do we get that? Right out of the Bible. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the, drum roll, the way. Men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Peter, Jesus, and the early church 
And the church universal for 2,000 years have preached that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father in heaven. C.S. Lewis, a brilliant Christian philosopher in the early 1900s, writes this. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman, madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to. So if Jesus is the only way to heaven, let's explore together what that way looks like. I wanna use three circles and, and just look at the screen. Notice that our world is broken. I don't have to convince you of that. Watch the news, you know the world's broken. But you also know it's not just the world, but it's you and I who are broken, right? I mean, the fact is, any of you, and I want, to, I want a response here, okay? Any of you, uh, show of hands in just a moment. Do you ever find yourself looking in the mirror and, and saying with the Apostle Paul, the good that I want to do, man, so often I don't do that. The bad that I don't want to do, man, so often I do that. Wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of death? How many of you have found yourself saying that there is something broken inside of me? That's like 20% of us. That's awesome. The rest of you, I, I, I love you, but just let me say, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. We're going to pray for your salvation. The world's broken, but you know what? God didn't create the world broken. See, God's kingdom is not a broken kingdom. Uh, the kingdom that God created is, is unbroken. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had fellowship with God and with each other and with creation itself. And so you say, how in the world did we get from the kingdom of God, which is unbroken and shall forever be unbroken, to this broken world that we live in? And it's one word called sin. And sin is just saying, Jesus, you're not my king, I'm my king. You're not gonna call the shots, I'm gonna call the shots. You're not the master of my fate, I'm the master of my fate. And I'm not gonna do life your way, I'm gonna do life my way. I'm not gonna do what you want, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm not gonna do your will, I'm gonna do my will. That's sin, the essence of sin. And so what happens is we have fallen into a broken world. And we try to fix what's broken on our own, right? Man, if I can just get married, if I can have kids, if I can ha make more money, if I just had more possessions, then my broken world would be unbroken. But the reality is there's only one who can fix what is broken in your world, in my world, in your life, and in my life, and that one is Jesus. And here's what Jesus did. He is God, eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he came to this earth, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. Do you understand the significance of that? He died on a cross in your place. God said the wages of sin is death. His kingdom shall forever be unbroken. And so sinners who rebel against him as king and Lord and God will not be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we've all done that. So what's gonna happen to us? Jesus died on the cross in our place. The wages of sin is death. He took your sin, your shame, your punishment. Literally, God the Father pours out his wrath on God the Son there on the cross to the point that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in all of eternity, Father and Son are in any way separated in a way that's far above my pay grade to understand or explain. But I do know this, there on the cross, 
He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin, past, present, and future. And then they put him in a tomb, and he rose again, conquering sin, death, Satan, and hell. But the question is, how do we move from this broken world to the kingdom of God? How do we become a citizen of his kingdom? It's only through Jesus, and what we have to do is repent and believe. Now think about repentance. That's not saying, oh God, I'm sorry for losing my temper. I did a little spiritual oopsie. Will you forgive me? No, repentance means, Jesus, I'm sorry because I've lived my life as if I'm my own king and I repent of that and I make you my king, my Lord, my God, my Savior. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me and I commit myself to follow you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What does it mean to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord? It means when you say, I'm gonna follow Jesus, you're saying, I am gonna make Jesus Jesus, the king of my life, and I will live under his authority. Now, notice what happens when you begin to follow Jesus. He calls you to go and speak the truth that God has given you to the culture that Satan has lied to. That's the way. Repent, believe, and commit yourself to follow Jesus. That's the truth. Uh, the story is told of 200 AD. Christians are being fed to the lions. Rome is trying to stamp out Christianity. Uh, but then the Roman emperor in 200 AD decides, okay, we're not winning the war against Christians. We're not eradicating Christianity. So we're just going to embrace Christianity. And he came up with this bright idea. We're going to make Christianity one of the official religions in the Roman Empire, one of. He said, here's what we'll do. We'll put up a statue of Jesus in the Roman pantheon. Now, the Roman pantheon was just the temple to all of the Roman gods. I mean, really big, important gods like Jupiter and Mars and Venus. And they said, we're going to, Jesus hit the big time, baby. We're going to put up a statue of Jesus right there alongside all these other gods. And he can be one God among many gods. And it said that the, the bishop in Rome, the leader of the church in Rome responded, no, don't put up a statue of Jesus among all the other gods for our God is not a God, but the one true God. And his name is Jesus. And besides, on the top of the pantheon is a sign that reads, Caesar is king of kings, and that position is occupied by Jesus alone. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So what is true? Truth is, Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven. So here's, that was, by the way, my grand conclusion. Now I want to give you an invitation how do we respond to this message? My prayer is that you will say, wait a minute, God has spoken truth to me and he's called me to speak truth to the culture that Satan has lied to. And one of the truths that I'm gonna to speak to culture is Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven.
And if you say, I'm gonna do that, then let me give you three suggestions on how to go about doing that. Number one, find a person of peace. That, that probably makes no sense to you, but, but just uh, let, me, let me tell you what one person wrote, and I thought, man, that's a great explanation of what it means to find a person of peace. Uh, this person writes, when I talk about Jesus, that's the key. You just talk about Jesus wherever you are, uh, just with other people, you talk about Jesus. I pay attention to the sheep. Most keep eating grass, but once in a while, you'll notice that some lift their heads and there's a moment of recognition as they hear the shepherd's voice you talk about Jesus and some just ignore you and others shake their fist at you but some go huh what'd you say talk to that one and then number two I mean just find a person of peace and then put a pebble in their shoe you you ever had a pebble in your shoe can you think about anything else until you get that pebble out of your shoe? Hey, listen, all you gotta do is just move the conversation forward. Tell somebody something about Jesus that helps them to understand Jesus a little bit better. Here's the reality. A person kind of follows a journey from total lostness to placing their faith in Jesus. Even the Bible says some plant, others water, and then some come along and harvest, and you don't know where you are in that process. One thing you know is that you're on a two-hour plane ride, probably not gonna get to to plant and water and harvest all in a two-hour conversation. You don't have to. You just plant a pebble in their shoe. And then the final suggestion is this. Ask questions before you offer answers. You go, what do you mean by that? Jesus in the Gospels, it's recorded, ask about, was asked about 300 questions. You know how many answered? How many questions he answered? about a handful he always responded with questions he asked he answered questions with questions and one of the questions to ask is why why do you believe that somebody says to you uh, you know wait a minute uh, or, uh, I'm sorry the, the first question to ask is what 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 do you mean by that somebody says to you I don't believe in God instead of trying to say why don't you believe in God you should believe in God you're gonna go to hell don't do that just say, why? What, what, what do you, help me to understand. What do you mean when you say you don't believe in God? Tell me about this God you don't believe in. The odds are the God they describe, you don't believe in that God either. So just ask what? what? What do you mean by that? And then the second question to ask is why? Uh, why did you come to that conclusion? I believe all roads lead to heaven. Okay, help me. What do you mean by that? Okay, great. Why did you come to that conclusion It sounds like you've discovered a lot of different paths. Could you help me to understand some of the different paths? Could you help me to understand why it is you believe all of those paths lead to God instead of just one of those paths? It's Gregory Kukul in his book, Tactics, that I just love, writes this. Most critics are eager to attack your faith. Have you ever noticed that? But are not prepared to defend their own He talks about shifting the burden of proof. Here's what he writes. It's not your job to refute every story a skeptic can spin or claim they can manufacture. If they make the claim, then it's their responsibility to give reasons why anyone should take their claims seriously. Place the burden of proof where it belongs on the one making the claim. You and I are called to speak truth to culture, to speak in love and grace and kindness, but understand you're gonna be attacked and criticized and canceled. But God calls us to speak truth to the culture to whom Satan has lied. This morning, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. And it's so, I think, 
important that we do this on this day. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded not only of the message, the truth that Jesus preached, but we're reminded of the price that Jesus paid in order to preach that message to us. Does that make sense? See, when we take the bread, Jesus is reminding us of the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through him. He died on a cross in our place. He paid the price for our sin. He gave his body as the sacrifice for our sin, and he paid a price, right? And so as we prepare to take the bread, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for caring enough to speak truth to us, even though it cost you, eternal God, your life in the flesh. Father, may we care about the world, God so loved the world, so deeply. May we care about the world as you do, so that we have the courage and the boldness to speak truth to culture as well. Jesus said, this is my body, take and eat. And when we come to the cup, we're reminded of the truth that there's no remission of sin, no forgiveness of sin, no wiping away of sin without the shedding of blood. As we take this cup, may we thank Jesus for the truth he gave us and for being willing to pay the price to speak that truth to us. He said, this is my blood poured out for the remission of sins. Take and drink. I'm gonna pray and then Trace is gonna come and dismiss us. Thank you so much for how faithfully you listen to God's word. May God give us a kindness and a boldness as we go forth today. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for speaking truth to us. May we speak truth to culture. May we speak the truth you've given us to a culture that's been lied to by Satan. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.